Hello, everyone. I'm Asha Nayaswamy, and I'm here with my friend Suryani. Suryani is a resident now of Ananda Palo Alto, and she's actually been helping me with a lot of broadcasting. So it's fun to put her on the other side of the camera today. Hello. <laughs> Suryani, um, tell us a little bit about who you were before Master found you. Where did you grow up? Who, what were you like as a child? Your interests, your temperament? Just give us a little kind of a picture of you. Um, okay. How you became who you are. <laughs> well, I grew up in Portland. Uh -huh. um, and I didn't know anything about the Ananda community, but funny enough, growing up, one of my favorite places to go with my parents was the bookstore New Renaissance Bookshop uh -huh. that uh, is currently owned still, I believe, by Ananda members. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was always super active. I, I would always like to go play in the mud. I was not... I didn't, I was supported not watching a lot of TV, so I was very out in the world. And whenever I was having a hard time, um, my mother would take me into crowds of people. Really? And it, yeah, it would take me outside of myself. And I just, I loved, I loved watching people. I loved being very active. I, I couldn't sit still unless I was with a group of my parents' friends, and then I could be very well behaved. <laughs> did, you, did you like adults? Was it that you liked being with adults? or? Yeah, there was something, I don't know what it is, but aside from my school friends uh -huh. that I was put with because of school, I've always gravitated towards being friends with people that are older than me. And even here, all of the all of my peers, the young women, um, myself and Satyavati are the youngest of the group. Huh, interesting. Yeah. How fun for you. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to, so you were very active as a child. Your mother took you into crowds to calm you down, which is yeah. interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, because I was so active, well, actually, my mother tells it, one day they found me doing pull-ups on the kitchen table as a, a small child, and I, I don't remember that. It must have been really little, but they decided, let's put them into, into her gymnastics. Uh -huh. So I did gymnastics for, actually, before that, I was in a little acting troupe, and I think I was seven uh -huh. or something. I did Pinocchio, <laughs> uh -huh. and I was, I was the cricket. Um, yes. Yes. Of course, <laughs> the one who guides others in deep wisdom. Um, and then I went into gymnastics and I did rhythmic or artistic gymnastics, which is the classic uh, vault, beam, floor routine for, I think, about four years. Um, and then I switched to rhythmic because I started seeing people get hurt in ways that I never wanted to get hurt. And so I got a little panicked. Yeah. Um, and then I went to rhythmic and it was so much fun. It was just the, the ribbon, the ball, the hoop, classically, like all the very flexible contortionist kind of Russian women mm -hmm. who are all the gold medalists. Yeah. Um, but then that was really hard on my body. After three years, they just literally break you to, you know, rebuild your body in very weird ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so my parents took me out of that, realizing that my body was already starting to break down at the age of, what, 13 or something. Mm -hmm. And they put me into ballet. Mm. And then I was in ballet for three years. And I loved it, but I never really felt like I fit into that mold because I was a very big 
kind of clunky gymnast, you know, a lot of muscle and there was just not a lot of finesse to it. <laughs> and I was around all these other kind of small, delicate, dainty dancers. And I thought, oh my God, I'm so out of my, my water here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I can't remember how I found this teacher of mine, but she became kind of my mentor in high school and she taught rhythmic or no, um, lyrical jazz and modern oh, and that's where I finally kind of found my groove and I just loved it we danced to uh kind of classical guitar and world music and um she was the one she's an alum to the college that I went to for dance and choreography mm -hmm. and she was the one she actually I, I ended up assisting her classes mm -hmm. and one day we showed up to teach a class and she said, oh, there's a class for you next door. Why don't you go have fun? I can take care of this. And so I walked in and they put a number on me and I thought, well, this is odd. And it turned out it was an audition for my the college I got into. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of, I think she knew I'd get too nervous. So she just kind of threw me in there and it worked out really great. Um, and so I, I went to uh, California Institute of the Arts down near Los Angeles for my bachelor in fine arts. So, so your whole like approach to life was physical. Physical yeah. it's, it's interesting because a, a number of the men I've talked to in this series tell me that their passion in life was sports and the way they were able to settle at team sports and so on like that. Yeah. But you're, you had the same sort of response, which is if you could pass the energy through your body. Yeah. Was, yeah. Were that you was way to do it. Were you studious at all? Were you a reader or was all the energy in, in this way? I loved stories, hmm. I loved, but I liked when my parents read them to me. We, my, my parents and I actually would read out loud until I think high school, mm -hmm. until I got just too busy to really do it. But I love adventure novels. Even in the novels, though, I love, you know, Lord of the Rings or, you know, gallant heroes battling for, for justice and um, dragons and all those kind of magical stories. Those, those are really fun to me. So growing up, um, was there any spiritual context to your life? Yeah. My, so my mother grew up in a conservative Jewish family, and my father came from a Lutheran Christian background, mm -hmm. um, but neither of them resonated with it, so they kind of exited that and then found each other in Portland and found a Taoist master that they practiced with. Taoist, for, Chinese Taoist, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they practiced with, I think for a number of years until he passed on. Um, so I grew up with my parents meditating and my mother does energy work and she she creates her own energy essences that are similar to Bach flower essences except for just has like from gemstones instead of flowers and mm -hmm. um but i never grew up with like a clear way to meditate like a recipe or a path but mm -hmm. spirituality and the uh, awareness that there was something greater mm -hmm. there from the very beginning Mm -hmm. Did you ever, I mean, what you, it sounds to me like you were a pretty cheery, outgoing person. <laughs> I mean, would that be accurate to say yeah. that? Yeah. Did, did you ever contemplate the meaning of life or were you just content with what came in front of you? I don't think I ever contemplated in a conscious way, but I always had this feeling that I was 
meant for something more. And it always came in dreams or in daydreams of uh, preparing for battle, kind of these, <laughs> these feelings like something was going to come that was greater. And so I think that's why I've never had one career, I guess, for more than a couple of years because I, I enjoy it. I love it. But then it, it ceases to satisfy that higher purpose. And I always, I get to this point where I think, gosh, there's got to be more. So I just keep moving and finding Ananda was the first time that I thought, oh, I could actually give my whole life to this. Oh, that's very interesting. I'm going to ask you just a little bit more about dance. Why do you love to dance? I love it because it keeps me in the present moment. I have a tendency to get caught in my brain and overthink things. And there's this need to understand or get it before I live it. <laughs> um, and in dance, I can't be anywhere but in the present moment or I get hurt. Yeah. And so, and I, I think it, there's so many things to be aware of when I dance, like how my toes feel sliding across the floor. And there's also this wonderful flow, like the actual flow, the wind, on this, you know, blowing through the, the hair and the skin, but there's also just this real ease to it all. And if, if a mistake happens, uh, you just kind of, it's easy to pick up and keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like that there's a real tangible way of knowing if seeing progress, like, oh, I couldn't do a pirouette yesterday, but today I could do it. Mm -hmm. It yeah, was, it was very good. Did you ever? Did you ever have, or have you ever had, what you would call trans transcendent experiences while dancing? I think a few times. Well, what I will say is that I I've had a few. Perf they're they're always in performances mm -hmm. because I I kind of you know stand at the edge of the stage, half terrified, and what did Pavarotti say? I go to die. And it, it felt like that, I'm going to go to die. But um, I just kind of give it to God. I, I didn't put it that way. I just, all right, universe, I'll give it to you. And whatever you want to do with me in the next five to ten minutes, I'm yours. And then I let go, and I go on. And sometimes I would come off not having any memory of what happened. Mm -hmm. But I knew it just felt good. It just kind of blurred by, and it, it had this lightness to it and I felt expanded afterwards. Did any of, did the word God ever enter the conversation or your thoughts with any of this in your dreams of being for something higher or preparing for battle? No, not the specific word God. Um, there was, I don't know, there was almost a resistance to what I, cause I wasn't, I didn't grow up with any type of religious context. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was almost this idea that religion went hand in hand with dogma. Mm -hmm. And so I was resistant to that, but I was very open to, um, you know, terms like white light or Christ light awareness, or, you know, the idea of spiritual guides mm -hmm. um, and divine light. Mm -hmm. So actually when I showed up to Ananda, for the first couple of years, it was really challenging for me to see a picture of Christ on the wall and to talk about God using the word God, even though when it was broken down into the eight aspects, mm -hmm. or once it was explained to me what it meant, it was completely in alignment of everything I'd always 
felt was right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was just kind of about getting my, my head and my heart to be in alignment, which took a while, but. Well, let's back up just a little bit so that we can go there sequentially, but that's all right. So you, you go to Los Angeles to get this degree in choreography and dance and presumably you had a great time doing that. I mean, since. Yeah, (laughs) I did. (laughs) So you end up with a degree in dance, which is not like or choreography, which is, you know, in Los Angeles, every waiter has a degree in some kind of performing arts, you know? So, so how did, what did you do? What was your next step after that? Were you able to find a career in dance or? Well, I went back to Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually never felt at home in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I originally even wanted to go to the Boston Conservatory, but I got a higher scholarship from CalArts, so I went there. And it ended up being a the school that was perfect for me, but I just wouldn't have chose it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was done being in Valencia, mm-hmm. um, which is the area that the college is in, I said, great, I get to leave this small town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went back to Portland and I, I got into a dance company there. Um, and that was really fun, but I only got paid $50 a week. That's not very much. <laughs> no. So I was living at home with my parents and I, I was there for three years and somehow it just felt like I got stuck into this kind of conundrum or a catch 22. I wanted to be, I had dreams of being um, a part of a world-class world internationally touring company that could change or move dance forward as an art form. But in order to travel to audition, I had to have enough money and in order to have money, I had to have a job. And so I kind of, I just felt like I got stuck figuring out how to make the logistics happen. Right. So then I fell into a different career. <laughs> Which was? Voiceover. <laughs> Voiceover for animation, animated features. and Yeah. I thought, I thought naively, I thought, oh, it could be a, a career because you, as long as you have a microphone, you could do it anywhere. I thought it could support my dance career. Uh-huh. But it's just as involved as dance, so it just ended up taking taking over, which was fun. And that is actually what brought me back to Los Angeles because that's where the training is for animation. So when did Master enter the story here? So when I was back in LA uh-huh. <clears throat> after being in Portland, I was there for a couple of years, and a friend of mine in the voiceover industry knew I was a dancer and a choreographer and said, I have a friend, would you ever want to choreograph for the movies? And I thought, my God, I'd never thought that could be a, even an option. I didn't ever think that was a career, but I said, yes. Mm-hmm. So he connected me to, uh, to a man who was Keshava Betz's uh, teacher in college. Mm-hmm. So I was on a gig, a stunt gig, and then I met Keshava Betts, who mm-hmm. has been interviewed in these before mm-hmm. and grew up at Ananda Village. And when I met him, that's when I found Ananda. So it came in that way. Did you, when you saw Master's picture for the first time or read, read autobiography, was there any sense of recognition or did it come slowly? It came slowly for me and it was actually more in the people. Uh-huh. It, was, it was in the... I've always been a very social person and I think master took that tendency and used it for 
that wonderful purpose used it in that way to get me to come in because I I didn't have an automatic recognition and the AYs or autobiography of a yogi I love the stories but it didn't floor me or it didn't it didn't awaken that soul recognition but the people that I met Narayan and Dharma Devi mm-hmm. and uh, when I met Jyotish and Devi and the others that had dedicated their lives to it I just felt like I'd found home in the family that I was getting to know. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what kept me coming back because I really had a a struggle to kind of get on board. Like, is this my path? Because within six months, my whole life had changed. I let go of my career, mm-hmm. what I thought my career was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I dedicated my life completely to Ananda. Mm-hmm. But, but still you were working with the pictures on the altar and Jesus and the word God and all of those things. Yeah, and as difficult as it was, and it was really a challenge because I felt like it was <clears throat> it was forcing me to get rid of a lot of bad habits and to face um, why I actually have resistances to those pieces instead of just saying, oh, that's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people, I just wanted to be around the people. They were so, there was a twinkle in their eye and a joy that I wanted to have, and they were all so supportive and wonderful that I kept coming back and I wanted to be in the classes with them. And so they kept offering me more opportunities. Um, And it was actually, it was when I took discipleship Mm -hmm. that I had a a soul recognition. And how how did you come to the point where you were ready to do that? Well, I just kept trusting that I was in the right place at the right time as much as I didn't mentally understand it. Mm-hmm. It was, I felt like the first couple of years or at least first year was really a leap of faith after a leap of faith because in my gut, it, I just knew it felt like the right thing, even though I had no idea why. So I just mm-hmm. kept saying yes mm-hmm. and summoning the courage to do it. And then eventually I got to the point where I walked in the door for discipleship and suddenly I didn't have a, like, a, like a mental awakening of any kind, but it, it just... I felt like I was grounded in it for the first time. Like it really, it became my own very more. You know, when yeah. I look back on my very early years with Ananda, and of course I had a very strong instant recognition of Swami, but there was a lot of other stuff that took a little more time. But I, in retrospect, what I, how I saw myself, I mean, this is like 15 or 20 years later, I saw my mind and it looked like a twisted bowl of spaghetti. (laughs) And I saw my heart and my heart was absolutely clear and had just one pointing arrow in it. And so there was just like two realities. Fortunately, my heart was just not paying attention to my mind. And then my mind gradually untied its knots and sort of sorted itself out. That's exactly how it felt to me. And there were, I, I, I think someone had, I've battled with doubt you know, doubting, is this my path? Is this really what I want? Because I had this, what I thought was such a clear trajectory to someday owning a dance company or setting up a production company, or I I don't know, something along those lines, that this was just something that was something that I had not thought of. I didn't even think that living a life like this was an option. So I had never played with the idea of it even. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was it was just getting good at trusting my gut and my my intuition. It was really a test of that, I think. 
do you feel um, how do I want to exactly ask this? Have the two part have all the parts of you come together now? So when you came to Ananda, how many years ago was that? About four and a half. So, so it's been four and a half years. So now after this much time, do you feel that you've become integrated in what you're doing? I do. Yeah, I feel like it's really my own. And I feel like even when I have questions, it's not about whether this is the right place for me. Uh -huh. um, that's very clear. Uh -huh. Yeah. When you have questions, what are the questions then? If it's not, is this my right place? Is I think sometimes I get caught up in trying to see the future or trying to see the long run. Like where in Ananda do I, you know, like what, what's going to be my career and my path? Because it's always been my tendency to see 10 steps ahead or see myself, you know, as a 60 year old owning a dance company. But mm -hmm. the steps between here and there are not as easy for me to just enjoy the process. <laughs> so you're becoming, are you learning to enjoy the process? Yeah, I am. I'm really enjoying letting go and trusting. I think that's one of the wonderful things uh, about having Master on my side is when I, when I get caught up in trying to figure out the future, I just say, oh, well, I'll just let go. I'll just, I'll let you, let you guide me and show me the way. And then I can relax because I do have a deep trust and faith that everything has been planned because nothing in my life has worked out the way I thought it would work out. So why should I try to figure out the rest of it? <laughs> now, are you always able to put aside your concerns easily or is it still an inner struggle for you? I think it depends on how important that struggle is. If it's something small, it's easy to let go. If it's, if it's something bigger, then um, another thing I've really learned to do here is ask for help. I've never been, I'm an only child and a lot of my way of dealing with hard times was just shut my door, go into my room and just kind of stew or figure it out myself. Um, and so in the past, I think four and a half years has been a really big growth in asking for help and finding people that I can, that I feel I can really trust their advice. Mm -hmm. So is that an aspect of what Ananda has brought you is people whose advice you can trust? Yeah. Yeah. People that kind of pick everything up from the same perspective and everything falls underneath that or under the umbrella of um, the spiritual path mm -hmm. and masters guiding us. It's like that common point of, uh, or just what everybody has in common. And it's, it's picked up from what feels like the highest point you could possibly pick anything up from. Mm -hmm. So I trust their perspective more than I think I've trusted perspective of just anybody out in the world because who knows what their goals are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very astute. Do you miss performing? Do you miss... Are, are you uh, are you regretful that you may never own a dance company? Not in the least. <laughs> I uh, I mean I have the wonderful opportunity. I'm I'm doing a solo this Sunday for service, so dance has kind of come back into my life, mm -hmm. and it's so much more joyful in this way too than it was before. Because, I mean, I had so much fun, and I don't regret a minute of it. But a lot of the the dance 
and the teachings at my college were very avant-garde. And so it was kind of movement for movement's sake or uh, there were art pieces that were exactly like you were talking about this morning where you take a banana and you tape it to the wall and you call it art. I mean, I walked in one day and there was a pile of trash in the middle of the floor and the label that said, this is art. And so a lot of the dance was wonderful dance, but it was, it was more of what looked pretty and movement for movement's sake. And I, after, after a while, just, it really became clear that I needed a purpose to why I was moving and why I was sharing it or what I was sharing. So being here and picking a chant, it's very clear uh, the purpose, you know, trying to channel the divine and feel, or even, even the simplicity of just getting to know Swami more. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are you more because you're dancing to his music? Is that what you meant by Yes. That? Yeah. When you not only hear it, but then you let it run through your body, then that's another relationship to it. Since you brought up Swami's name, you came after he'd already passed. Mm -hmm. So you never met him in person? Correct. Does he, how does he influence your spiritual life if he does? He just feels like another guide. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've, you know, I've never really had you know, like heard words or like visions or anything quite that, uh, that bold, but in a way I feel like I know him very well. Mm -hmm. Getting to see his picture on my altar and reading his words and hearing others speak about him. Um, he just feels like an old friend. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, for this particular piece, it's been, a really fun opportunity and a challenge to do it because um, I have to watch myself dancing on camera to see what it looks like. So I, I, you know, it's not as easy as separating, oh, that's the dancer in the piece. So I have to dance it and figure it out and then see what it looks like without picking myself apart, which is not easy to do. <laughs> and so whenever I get stuck or I think, wow, I don't like that move, I, what's next? I just, I've been rehearsing in the temple. So I, Luckily, you can just turn around and say, okay, I don't know what's next, but you do. This is your dance. <laughs> you, you, you show me what's next. And I think every single time within the next 10 minutes, something has flowed out that I didn't expect. Perfect. Perfect. So dance, just to say it out loud, is an area of Ananda that has not been as fully developed as music or writing. And it's an area that Swamiji wanted to see developed. So um, your, your attunement to it, you know, has, it's a very open-ended potential. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, marvelous for you. You know, every disciple has a particular way. So when you see yourself going forward in the future being a disciple, what, what, what does discipleship, what does it look like to you to be now, we're tr you've been trying to keep yourself from looking into the future, but let's try to look into it in a different way. But just, what does it mean to, to be a disciple, and how do you see your life unfolding in terms of being a disciple? Hmm. I think being of service to those around me, okay. and as much as possible, disappearing into the energy of Master and Swami Kriyananda, 
mm-hmm. and allowing them to flow through me. I think that's what, the more that Suryani can disappear mm-hmm. uh, and let, let them come through, I think for me, that's, that's the discipleship I want to work on. And whatever, whatever tasks I'm given to do, whether I'm a school teacher or I do dance or, you know, whether I serve at the temple in the Sangha or head the boutique, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm doing what, what I feel I'm being asked to do by them. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Just for the sake of our audience, the, your solo dance is going to be May 31st. This is 2020. And on the Palo Alto, oh, oh dear, I don't know if it's going to, I was going to say, because they don't always, the live, the live presentation of that, which will be probably around 11 o'clock, yeah. will be presented. We'll have to make sure that a recording of it gets posted just for fun. Try yeah. to link it to this interview so that people can see, express what you've been talking about. All right, my dear, it's just been a joy to fill in a lot of pieces and to hear you talk especially so much about dance, which is, not something I do, but it's something I love. <laughs> it's sort of, for me, it's like, a, it's a past life memory. And it's wonderful. One of the things about a non is that we all get to act out each other's karma for each other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Enjoy it through you. Oh. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. It has indeed. Okay.